Let's uh, open our Bibles. And if you would, uh, turn to Joshua. (coughs) Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, we're going to read uh, the entire chapter this evening. Once again, a story that I'm sure is very familiar to, to many of you folks, <clears throat> but uh, one I believe certainly worth reading and rereading. So Joshua chapter 2, I'll begin reading verse number 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Excuse me. (coughs) Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they become to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I do not know. Pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. And she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, they came up unto them upon the roof. I'm sorry, she came up upon them to the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and an earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be, when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may you go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear." Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. 
And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this, our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went and came unto the mountain, and abode there three days, until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. I never tire of hearing uh, testimonies of salvation and testimony of how God's grace has uh, transformed the life of someone. And uh, one of the highlights of our trip this summer over to uh, Kyrgyzstan and to Turkey was to meet people from uh, some very uh, uh, little-known places and places that would not be uh, um, high on the list of places where we would hear of God doing uh, great works and to hear the testimonies of some of the men and the women that we were able to, to meet with, and to hear not only how God had, uh, had sought them out and reached them with the gospel that they might be saved, but then also to hear the changes that God had produced and had wrought in their lives. And uh, it was just a wondrous thing to hear those testimonies. Well, tonight, we're going to look at the testimony of a woman named Rahab. And um, as the uh, title indicates, uh, a prostitute who became a princess. And so you talk about a transformation, uh, a wonderful transformation by God's grace. Um, This story has to rank right up among the top of them. The story of Rahab is indeed one of the most remarkable examples of God's saving and transforming grace found in the entire Bible. And this is true for several reasons. First of all, with very little knowledge of God's truth and living in a city whose people were openly hostile toward God, Not only did Rahab display saving faith, but she also displayed uncommon courage as she placed her own life in danger in order to take a stand for God by protecting the spies sent out by Joshua. Secondly, in spite of the fact that Rahab was initially a pagan and an idolater and a prostitute, she is named in Hebrews 11 among the heroes of the faith. Truly, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. And third, from the prostitute that she was, she was transformed into a saint and a citizen of the household of God and so has become a stunning and shining trophy of God's grace. Now, in American society, too often Christians um, don't differ much from the mass of people around them. And it's easy to fall into that, into that rut. And so as people around us complain, sometimes we get caught up with that and, and we complain as well. As those around us are worried about their economic situation, at times we too display worry about God's ability to provide. As those around us focus on temporal things, 
we too can get wrapped up with things that will pass rather than things that are eternal. But one has to wonder, as professing children of God, there ought to be a distinct difference between us and those around us who don't know God. As God's grace transforms us more and more to be conformed into the image of Christ. That is the transformation that took place in the life of Rahab and that we're going to examine tonight. Indeed, our lives ought to reflect a genuine transformation wrought by the grace of God. And so let's consider what that, what that transformation looks like as we examine the life of Rahab. First of all, let's consider Rahab's character before she was saved. Um, starting with her name. As you know, in Bible times, names were often chosen because they reflected the character of the person or some important fact about the person. Well, the name Rahab means insolent, arrogant, or raging. Um, Apparently, Rahab did not have a particularly endearing personality. (laughs) And that may explain why she wasn't married when we first meet her in the story. But uh, that's her name. Her nation, her nationality doesn't improve her situation much because she was an Amorite, according to Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. Um, the Amorites were an idolatrous people whose sins had become so great, so wicked, that God had announced their certain judgment to Abraham some 500 years earlier. Um, text is up there, Genesis 15, 16, we will look at it now, but God had already announced to Abraham 500 years before that this nation would be judged because of their sin. And then, of course, there's her notoriety. She was known as a harlot. In fact, Rahab's name is mentioned a number of times throughout the Bible, and every time her story is referred to, the Bible writers recall this aspect of her life. In Joshua 2.1, of course, she's named Rahab the harlot. If you turn to Joshua chapter 6, Verse 17, it says, And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. Again in Joshua, chapter 6, verse 25. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. Look now in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11. Even when she's referred to, In this chapter of the heroes of faith, notice the reference that's made to her. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31. Hebrews 11 verse 31 says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. And then one more time in James chapter 2 verse 25, James 2.25, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Every time her name comes up, she is referred to as the harlot. That's what characterized her. She was known to be a brazen and wicked woman, not the most likely candidate for salvation. And yet, as we mentioned at the beginning, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. And Rahab certainly is a wonderful example of that. So let's look next 
at Rahab's conversion and the evidence of saving faith in her life, um, first of all, there's the declaration of her faith. So as she meets these spies and receives them into her household and then even hides them, in the midst of this interaction, she makes a statement, and it's a very surprising but noteworthy statement. In verse number 9, chapter 2, verse number 9, she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Hmm. I know that the Lord hath given you the land. You know, some 40 years prior, when the 12 spies were sent out to spy out the land, um, 10 of them came back. They were Jews. They knew God, or they knew of God. They knew his promises, and yet they could not say, we know that God has given us the land. And here's this pagan, idolatrous woman who says, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Skip to verse number 11. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. That's a pretty strong declaration of faith, I would say. Not only does she use the covenant name of God here, which is surprising. Okay, when she says the word Lord, it's in capital letters, at least in most translations, and which indicates that it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. And so she's using the covenant name, the, the name, the chosen name for God and his people. She uses that name to refer to God. And then she affirms and said, the Lord your God, he is God. And so she's declaring her own personal faith in the God of Israel. Not only that, but when she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that's a a surprising statement again, because that is based upon what God had told Israel that he would give them the land. Well, the essence of faith is to take God at his word, right? It's to believe that what God has declared, he is also able to perform it. And so at some point, she had heard that God had told told Israel he was going to give them this land, and she believed it. This was very clearly an act of faith on her part. She was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he would perform. And so she believed that God would judge sin, which meant the nation that she was a part of. And she believed that God would deliver his people, and those were the people with whom she wished to identify now. It's also worth pointing out that this story is clear proof that a person doesn't need extensive knowledge of the Bible to come to saving faith. When she explains to the spies what she knew, it's not a lot. Uh, She knew that when they came out of Egypt, God had, had parted the Red Sea. She knew what they had done in their battles against the two kings of the Amorites, and and that was about it. <laughs> um, she had a few little bits and pieces of God's workings and God's plan for Israel. That was the extent of her Bible knowledge, but it was enough for her to fear God, to know that he was a just God, and to believe him, to believe that he would be willing to accept her, a pagan and a prostitute, and allow her to be a part of his people. I I share that, I underline that, because I think we need to be careful sometimes when we uh, witness to folks that we may fall into the the thinking that uh, people need to hear or know a lot uh, before they can get saved. 
And of course, there are certain basic facts they, they need to understand clearly about the gospel. But oftentimes it is, at least it's been a um, uh, special blessing to me over the years, especially in the mission field, where we'd meet people that had very little uh, knowledge of the Bible, very little background, if any, um, with Christianity. And in presenting the gospel to them for the first time, uh, in one conversation that maybe lasted for whatever time, 45 minutes or an hour, that a person would get down on their knees and get saved. And it was genuine, genuine faith and genuine conversion. And um, so as we share the gospel with folks, again, we don't need to, we shouldn't think that they need to, uh, you know, hear it a lot of times or come out to church very often before they can act upon the gospel as we presented it to them. And so the text says that she believed in her heart and then she confessed with her mouth. And that's exactly what the Bible says is needed to be saved, according to Romans 10.9. And in fact, that seems to be the declaration of faith, which is in view when in Hebrews 11, we read earlier, it says, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not. She didn't perish because of her faith that she declares here in Joshua chapter 2. So we have not only the declaration of her faith, we also have the demonstration of her faith. As James points out that even so, faith without works or without transformation in one's life is dead. And so Rahab demonstrated her faith in a number of ways. First of all, she demonstrated her faith by hiding the two spies, which of course meant she was placing her own life in danger in order to take a stand for God. She knew that these men were servants of the Lord, and she chose to side with them, which meant, of course, she was siding with the God of Israel. And it is this demonstration of her faith, which especially is in view in James chapter 2, when James refers to Rahab and says, see, wasn't she justified by her works? James specifically refers to the fact that she uh, hid the spies. Now, that's not a contradiction with the Bible teaching that we're justified by faith, in that Rahab was, first of all, justified before God by her faith, but her faith was justified, if we could say this, before men by her works. And so God, who sees the heart, knew that in Joshua chapter 2, when she says, I know that the God of Israel is the Lord, God could see her heart, and that moment, by her faith, she was justified. But people couldn't see what took place in her heart, and that became evident by her works as she then went on to hide the spies and, again, to side with Israel. And so the the Bible is perfectly clear. We are saved by faith, but saving faith will produce good works, right? That's what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10 tell us. So, there needs to be some transformation. Transformation there needs to be some change. If a person professes faith and there is absolutely no change in their life, there is no evidence of any transformation, we can seriously doubt whether their faith is genuine. We'd have every right to, to maybe call into question if a person has really understood if they claim to be a Christian, yet their life does not portray or demonstrate the change as they go along with saving faith. Another way that she demonstrated her faith was she attached the scarlet thread to the window of her house. And it's interesting the way it reads in Joshua chapter 2, in verse 21, 
and she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. The way the text reads, it sure sounds like as soon as those spies were gone, she said, I'm tying that thread on this window. All right, I'm not going to wait. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, perhaps forget or lose the scarlet thread or who knows what might happen. I'm going to put it out there right now. And, of course, there could have been some, you know, that could have drawn attention to her. Um, people could have perhaps seen it and, and questioned, why is that, you know, that rope hanging from your, from your window? Um, but be that as it may, she identified immediately with God and his people through that. Now, of course, the scarlet thread um, could well be, um, if not understood by the spies, certainly by God, that it was an indication of the uh, salvation through the shed blood of Christ. Um, the scarlet thread of redemption is woven throughout the entire cloth of Scripture and is so clearly expressed by the passable phrase when God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you. And uh, again, whether the people in the story understood that, that connection or not, looking back now, it seems pretty evident why God would have chosen the scarlet thread. But anyway, it was certainly a de- demonstration of her faith to put that out there. Also, her faith was demonstrated in that she, uh, by, by her seeking the salvation of her family, okay, immediately after she has uh, asked the spies that her life be saved, she immediately has a burden for her family. And so notice in chapter 2, verse number, um, verse number 12, she says, Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house. And that you will, verse 17, that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brother, my sisters, and all that I have, and deliver their lives from death. And then notice a little bit further on, in chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, we find she was quite an effective witness, because notice what the result is in chapter 6, verse 22. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman, and all that she hath, as he swear unto her. Listen. And the young men that were spies went in, and brought out Rahab, and her father, and her mother, and her brethren, and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred, and left them without the camp of Israel. So... This woman's faith was demonstrated here. She's, she's barely saved, right? She just, she just recently has professed her faith in, in the God of Israel, and immediately she's concerned for the salvation of others, starting with her own household. Well, that's one of the distinct changes that should be evident in the life of any true child of God, a burden for lost souls. Just as our Lord commanded we saw a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Art was, was uh, teaching in Mark chapter 5, and uh, the man who was healed by the Lord, and he asked to go with him, and the Lord said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And so time and again, the Lord commands us to go. Well, she hadn't even received that command. She just had a natural burden to go. She said, there's people here I care for. I don't want them to be judged. And so she immediately seeks their salvation as well. And so it's, again, a valid question for every believer. Who are the lost people that you are currently reaching out to as you seek opportunities to share the gospel with them? 
Does your burden also include the outcasts of our society like Rahab? It was a blessing to us in our work in France, a young couple that was part of our church there. Uh, We were in a larger city, and there were a number of prostitutes that would haunt the streets of the city. And um, a young couple in our church really had a burden, especially for those ladies. And so as a couple, they would go down to meet them in the street at night. That's when they were out, of course. And to share uh, the gospel of Christ with them. And so again, they'd understood nobody is is outside the reach of the grace of God. And so Rahab, we saw what her character was before she was saved, not a very likely candidate for salvation. We saw her conversion and the evidence of her faith. Let's look now at her complete transformation once she is saved. First of all, Rahab was included in God's promise. That is, God had promised Israel the land. He had promised he would deliver Israel from all their enemies and that they would overcome all the different uh, nations that were there. And so Rahab experienced God's deliverance both physically and spiritually, both she and her family. She had heard what God had done. She believed in God. And she had confidence that he would accomplish every one of his promises. And that in the face of every improbability. All right, here was this unwarlike force, Israel, with no training and no real military uh, acumen, coming against a well-armed and well-fortified city. And yet she sided with the underdogs because, again, she knew who their God was and she believed in him. So she was included in God's promise and benefited by that promise. She was also inducted into God's hall of faith. And so, as we saw, she's named in Hebrews 11 among the heroes of the faith. And so, although others in Jericho saw no beauty in Rahab, that they would desire her company, not only did God see the value of her precious soul, but he even elevated her to become one of the heroines of the faith mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. That's remarkable. Thirdly, she was integrated into God's people. I'd like us for us to read a text in uh, Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of our Lord. Again, these genealogies shouldn't be skipped over too quickly, <laughs> as they often contain some wonderful nuggets of truth here. Matthew chapter 1. It says, And Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And so the Bible says that Rahab became the wife of a man named Salmon. Now, what we know is that Salmon was a prince of the tribe of Judah, and according to Jewish tradition, was one of the two spies that Joshua had sent into the land. But what we know for sure is that having married one of these Jewish men, Salmon, she then became the mother of Boaz. Now you talk about transformation. When you go to the book of Ruth, 
and learn about this individual, Boaz. I mean, such a godly and gracious man. And then to realize that the mother who had raised him was none other than Rahab, the prostitute. Yes, her transformation was complete. From being a a woman of the streets and a harlot to become the mother of the the wife of a prince of Judah and the mother of such a wonderful man as Boaz. And finally, she was also incorporated into the Messianic line. And so as we just read in Matthew chapter 1, and also we can find it in Ruth chapter 4, Ruth becomes the great-great-grandmother to David. And so part of the Messianic line that's laid out in the Old Testament for us It's uh, actually, just on a side note, interesting and instructive that in the Lord's genealogy, we just referred to it in Matthew there, none of the holy women of old are mentioned by name, Sarah or Rebecca or the others. Only those women, those women who had been known for their sinful backgrounds, Tamar and Ruth, Bathsheba, Rahab, were the only names mentioned. As if God is saying, listen, here is a demonstration of my power in transforming the life of somebody and elevating them to a place where they actually became part of the lineage of our Lord. I like the phrase I found in the commentary. Um, Oh, it's in your notes, not on the screen there. But in your notes it says, Poor Rahab, the muddy, the defiled, became the fountainhead of the river of the water of life, which floweth out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And so in conclusion, just like Rahab the prostitute, all can benefit from the scarlet thread of redemption found in the Bible. None are excluded from God's wonderful plan of salvation. And once a person is truly saved... God promises to begin to transform that person's life. That is both his promise and his plan. He that has begun this good work in you shall perform it till the day of Christ. And so again, as we seek to follow the Lord, may we continue to yield to him day by day to allow him to transform us. To, us, to allow us to become tro- trophies of his grace, just like Rahab was. And as we share the wonderful news of Jesus Christ, may we never overlook the Rahabs that may haunt the streets of our cities and reach out to those who maybe society has no room for, no time for, but recognize that God sees in them a precious soul that his grace is able to transform And so, let's give him praise as we uh, go to prayer tonight. uh, We can certainly thank him for his wonderful grace and transforming power. And uh, think tonight about, as you pray, some folks that maybe you've had on your heart, um, some folks that you would like to see saved. Why don't you include that in your prayer time tonight, that God would give you yet other opportunities uh, to reach out to those folks or others, perhaps, that you don't know yet. 
um, that God would have you, that God would use you to touch their lives. Make that a part of your praying time and your request tonight. And um, as we pointed out in previous weeks, um, again, if you're sitting alone, if you could look around, maybe there's somebody else that would uh, be glad to have a prayer partner. And, uh, and so don't hesitate to maybe offer to pray with somebody else tonight and spend this time together with a brother or sister in Christ. All right, Lord bless you. Thanks.